Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find a handy donate button. Who put that there? So that you can give some money back to the show. Just a note about that. Uh, although I always say the show is presented by All About Jazz, and that is in fact true, and they do help me out uh, in terms of publicity and so on and so forth, uh, there's no financial relationship between the Jazz Session and All About Jazz. So, uh, really the only financial relationship that exists is between the Jazz Session and my wallet, which is more or less empty. So if you can see your way toward making a relationship with your wallet, however large, $80 million, $100 million, you know, a nice round number... It will certainly help the show keep going for some time to come. Uh, those kinds of donations help me pay for the connection, help me with traveling to go interview musicians, equipment to do that kind of thing. It all costs money. And so uh, it ain't a lot of money, and that's why I don't need a lot of money from you. 50000 a 100000 would be fine. Just use the donate button at thejazzsession.com. Thank you. My guest uh, today is guitarist Michael Masalami, and his new CD is called Old T. It's on his own Playscape Recordings label. And it is, um, in many ways, just a, a perfect example of um, music's ability to transcend some of the most difficult things that can happen in a person's life. And uh, I'll let Michael tell you more about it, but we'll begin with uh, the tune that's at the beginning of the record. Thank you. 
My guest is guitarist Michael Masalami. He and his trio have just released an album called Old T. It's on his own Playscape Recordings label. And uh, Michael, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for asking. It's a pleasure. I, I want to start off um, just talking about the the origins of this record, and if um, if you could just tell us what the uh, what the catalyst for the album was. Well, it's, it's a tough story, um, but in uh, March of last year, my my son Evan had uh, taken his own life, and uh, really the uh, the catalyst for Old T was really a healing process and uh, of trying to come to terms with something so tragic uh, for myself as well as my family. And uh, after uh, countless hours and just trying to make sense out of something that was so, so horrible and with, the, with my wife and kids, other kids, um, decided that this would be a, a proper thing to do and something that we could, we could focus on and come around it to, together on, as a family. So um, I spent uh, months of, uh, I'll say weeks and months, of, of writing music and just trying to kind of frame uh, some emotions, etc., uh, that we all had here in, in musical terms. And uh, the result is Old T with, with the trio that I had uh, been working with for some time. And they, they were part of this, this music family also. Have you found at other times in your life that that was a way you used music to deal with uh, whatever positive or negative emotional state you were in? Yeah, I mean, it always, it, 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 it's nothing, nothing to this, this degree, but um, there always has to, in my mind, in my way of writing, you know, there has to be some kind of, of catalyst, whether it be outside influences. Um, you know, we re- I re- uh, released uh, in 2002 with the trio uh, Beijing, which is you know, Tiananmen Square, and you know, we performed in Dachau, and that was a moving experience, which uh, an album with the same title, Dachau. So, so moving experiences in my life seem to be the catalyst for uh, many of the releases that I've had. Would you say that you are, in general, a, an inspirational composer, a, a composer that, to whom things kind of come and you write them down, or do you find yourself kind of each day at the guitar or piano or whatever, however you write, uh, kind of working on snippets of ideas that you develop, or is it a mix of those things? Well, I guess it's a mix, but, I mean, you know, I have to com- compartmentalize my music life. Um, there's, uh, I'm, I, I'm busy, I teach and perform, etc., so when I write, I put that time aside beforehand. In other words, um, you know, we just came back from a tour two days ago in Europe for two weeks, and so the, I have about a month here where I have some free time. So I'll, I'll put, you know, two or three hours a day aside to do some writing because I can. Um, so that seems to be the, the way it works for me. Is I, Okay, I'm going to write in July or I'm going to write in August, and um, I set my life up so that I can uh, afford the time to, to do such. 
Am I right to say this is the fifth record with this trio? I tried to count them in my head, but yeah, you know, right? you have to ask me these complicated <laughs> questions. So we have, let's see. Yes, I'm so, sorry to hardball you right off the top. The here. Yeah, the fifth. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, which is first of all, it seems like a, a wonderful thing to have a band that you can record five records with. And I wonder if you maybe talk about who's in the trio with you and what makes this particular trio uh, such a great fit for you. Um, you know, it's a lifetime of experience. I. I uh, you know, bassist Joe Fonda, when I came out to the East Coast from California in, uh, like, 1981, he was one of the first guys that, that I had uh, the opportunity to play with. And we had worked in so many different situations over, I guess it's over 30 years now. And uh, uh, second nature, instinctual, you know, we get along just as cats. We get along just fine. And uh, so... In, you know, he was a natural for me. I mean, there's a lot of other bass players that, that could form a different trio, but, but uh, Joe is an aggressive player, and, uh, and his spirit is into it, and his commitment is into this music. And I have George Schuler on drums. So it worked, you know. I mean, it's just something that, that is very natural and, and has evolved uh, tremendously um, since 2002. So eight years later... Here we are, and we're still going strong, and the music's growing. So as long as that keeps going, I mean, it's 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 quite a, an unusual feat to keep a group together for eight years. Of uh, everybody has their own life, music life, and their own groups, but uh, we've been able to tour, you know, once or twice a year, and produce, uh, release music, uh, CD now. So um, it's active and uh, it's progressing, and that if as long as it's progressing, it'll keep going. The process, uh, the process of recording in the studio, is that uh, equally collaborative? Well, on a musical level, it is. I mean, I write the music and and set the parameters. But um, you know, one of the, the the themes of this group, no matter if it's a trio or, or the sex set that just came back from Europe, is that there'll be no apologies. And if you feel that that something should happen within the given piece, then you do it. And it may work or it may not work. So in that sense, it's a, it's a collaboration. On the stand, it's a collaboration. 
And uh, that's one of the things that makes the music so exciting and challenging and scary and uncertain and uncomfortable at times. Uh, but that, that spurs growth when things are uncomfortable. So that's kind of the theme of this group is, uh, you know, if, if it's predictable, then man, leave it home. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, are there uh, kind of in your own uh, time coming up, and you you did a lot of work as a as a sideman and, and mm-hmm. played with a lot of names people would know. Are, are there particular experiences you took from that that you think inform the way you either lead bands now or or work as a musician, the way you've patterned your musical life? Yeah, I mean, not so much as either, baby, not so much as the music, but. Uh, in, in general terms, you know, when I came to the East Coast, I worked in the Chitlin Circuit, and uh, or organist Bobby Buster, you know, he showed me how to run a band, how how to how to deal with people uh, at a club, um, you know, how to how to put a set together, how to how to be patient, and those kinds of things, um, as well as, as as the musical aspects of what goes on on a gig, but. Um, it's just, you know, I've been doing it a long time, and uh, everybody, everybody adds to the mix, even negativity. Anything that, that comes across is maybe something I don't want to do, and it just kind of solidifies, man, don't ever do that on the stand, because see what happens. So um, positive and negative, you know, you put it into your bag, and, and eventually you become you. I was uh, having a conversation about the kind of the effects of the audience on the performers with um, John Abercrombie who said that at least in his case that he thought the audiences would be surprised by how many things he sees when he's on the bandstand how many things he notices and he finds affect his playing and I wonder what it's what it's like for you you spend a ton of time on the on the road and touring mm-hmm. and what, what's that relationship like for you well I mean um, something f- uh, as as uh, as common as as audience response you know um, is the audience into it, and that's going to spur you on to play harder. But it could be, as you look into the crowd, you can see if are people on the edge of their chair, are they talking to their friends, uh, are they standing up, are they sitting down, uh, are they moving, are their eyes open, are they closed? I mean, you, you, he's right. You see it all, and, and, it, and it does affect... Uh, it does affect, in, in a general way, how you present your music. Um, hopefully, not too much. You know, I, I, we just gave a workshop in in, uh, in Holland, just the trio, and then the other guys joined us. But we were talking about one of the questions from the audience was was how does the, how does the crowd affect what you play, and are you concerned with what they think about what you're playing? And I guess. Uh, my answer to that was I, I try not to pay too close attention to what they think and uh, kind of raise some eyebrows, but you know everybody comes to this thing with a different approach, a different experience as a listener, and if I were to be too concerned about each, in, each individual in the audience and how they would respond to something that we would play, then it would be kind of crazy up there. So. You know, we do what we do, and hopefully people will gravitate towards it or at least uh, have an open mind towards it. Um, And even if they don't like it, um, that's going to maybe spur thought from the listener. Uh, But we feel it all up there. We feel it all, and and, uh, hopefully it's positive and there's positive energy, and it does make the band play a uh, a little different, I think. I'm not sure if this is the the right word, but uh, you can correct me if it isn't. But it, you seem to be some, somewhat drawn to programmatic music or music that talk that music that is about 
the performance of the music, but also has some other element to it. For example, in the Beijing and Dachau albums that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, I guess first I'll ask: is that is that true? And then if if so, why do you choose to use music that way? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm a very organized kind of cat. I, um, maybe not it, when the music is being played. Maybe it doesn't sound that way. But it's a it's a it's a starting point. Um, in the, uh, let me refer to the same workshop. Another question was: what, when you play a piece, is it, is it always in general the same way? In other words, we, we performed one of the pieces off of the new record, the title track, uh, uh, Old T, and it starts out with a very legato. Uh, out of time, beautiful kind of opening, and it, it's, it's titled Introduction. And uh, and he said, well, why can't you just hit it right on, hit it hard right from the beginning, the, the, this person in the audience? And I said, well, you know, the back, I, and I explained the backstory in, in very general terms. And uh, it would be inappropriate to uh, to introduce this, this particular piece because of that backstory. Um, so Yes, uh, you know the the catalyst for each of these pieces may set up a certain situation where um, the piece has to be played a certain way, and uh, and in, in this case, old T, everything's pretty specific. There's not a, we don't really deviate too much from the, the general program, though the piece itself, when it's being played, is going to be changing constantly. One uh, one thing I wondered about, uh, you wrote about the circumstances that led to the recording of this album in, mm-hmm. in the liner notes, so mm-hmm. any person who has the physical record can immediately know what underlies the music. Right. Uh, that's, uh, that is a, a, a choice you have when you're performing the music live, whether you tell people or not, and so I wonder how you, how you approach that. It seems like it would be a very difficult thing to have to to have to confront in that way, talking about it every single night of the band's Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't talk about it. Um, it's just in the workshop somebody asked about it, so I, so I, I did come to terms with that. But it's, it really would be very hard for me to talk about this live, I, um, and, and I try not to. I mean, if they get the, if they get the CD and they read about you know where it comes from, et cetera, and some of the tunes and why they're called what they're called. Then uh, that's fine. So then, so the problem is, is then they have a preconceived idea of of the music, or maybe what the music's going to be, whether that be right or wrong. So it's better that they come to it with a clean slate, and then maybe after the fact they say, "Okay, I see what's happening here." Um, and and I think I think that they hear the depth in the music uh, once they hear the backstory, and it, it makes it go, makes perfect sense to them. Um, at least that's what I've been told. Yeah, I did the same thing with this record that I do with every record, which is I, I don't I don't read anything before I listen to okay. the, the record uh, the first time, and mm-hmm. uh, and I actually listened to it several times before I read the liner notes, and mm-hmm. I, and I this was a while ago when it arrived. I hadn't done any research or anything. I just put the record in, and yeah, um, and after I after I did read the liner notes and and read some some things that were on the on your site, for example, um, it really it's almost impossible to ever listen to the music that same way. Again, which I don't think less well, certainly in this case doesn't lessen its impact, but it definitely changes the the listener's relationship to the music to know to know something as intimate about it as this. Right, and I was I was I, I, to be honest with you, I was I was torn as to how far to go into this, and and really it was a family decision more than anything. So talking to my wife Robin about it, 
and uh, just saying, where do we go with this? You know, do we? Do we I mean, and we weren't even going to release the music. You know, it was just a personal thing. And uh, you know, speaking to, to 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 my wife, and she said, yeah, let's celebrate. Uh, let's celebrate Evan's life this way. And and we can we can we can in general terms say what happened. And uh, you know, people will take that uh, as they as they want to take it, as they can the music too. But the truth, <laughs> I mean, the truth is the truth. So uh, that's that's the way we we decided to go with this. Uh, Michael, you mentioned uh, that you teach. Will you talk more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been fortunate to have a, a wonderful teaching position at a, at a uh, uh, a school in the Northwest Hills of Connecticut, titled the Hodgkiss School. Over a hundred years old, about five hundred kids, brilliant kids, and uh, we have a great jazz program there. And uh, I've been fortunate to be able to run the jazz ensemble and teach jazz history and theory, et cetera, as well as private guitar lessons and, uh, and some ensembles uh, besides the jazz ensemble there. And uh, it's a wonderful position in a beautiful place, and uh, I get to do what I want to do. My, I set up my own schedule uh, as far as uh, curriculum, and uh, I couldn't ask for more. And it helps me actually, too. Like Sometimes I get to write and arrange music uh, for these young jazz musicians, and uh and it's a testing ground too, you know. So, and, and I'm there 30 weeks out of the year. Um, if I need to uh, to tour, the school affords me that uh, that time. Uh, if I need to get away, because it gives, you know it gives your words some weight. You know, if you're out there in the trenches dodging these musical bullets, <laughs> and you come back and say, "Man, you know, that's not really the right, right way to do it." I know it says that in the book, but that's just not what's happening. So, um, it's a great it's a great great uh, position to have. I'm, I'm fortunate. Was there a jazz program before you went there, or did you create it? Well, I, you know, I've been there so long. I've been this is my twenty eighth year um, of teaching there. And when I started, I mean, to be honest, there it, the music program was uh, it's what you might expect at, at at this level. These kids are you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years old, and uh, you know, so you might get some guitar lessons and and. Uh, that's about it, but it's it's blossomed, and we've had some some uh, uh, very generous donors that said, you know what, this school needs to have a great music program. So they've built a, a wonderful music facility, and 
afforded us the ability to set up a, a music program there that really is second to none. It's a great. Everybody who teaches there is a, is a performer, and uh, I only see it getting better in the future. Um, but, but it was hardly in existence when I started, and that was like 1982, 1983. And how do the kids um, that you come into contact with respond uh, to the kind of music that, that you appreciate? Uh, you know what? It, it's kind of frightening to them uh, in the beginning. And uh, we, you know, this last performance that we had there with the, with the uh, jazz ensemble, it's entitled the right. Uh, the name of the group is Right Brain Logic. And you know, we just did a, a, a monk medley. So you know, I've taken themes from from monk, or we did a Mingus thing, and you know, four or five pieces. And I've done my own spin on it, where you know, they're, at times they're playing two or three tunes at the same time, and it's woven in. So it's it's really fun as a as a director and a, and, a, and as a arranger and writer. And uh, they come to embrace it. You know, I mean, if you do something enough times, it becomes natural. And uh, but in the beginning, I mean, to hear any dissonance in the music, I mean, these kids come here, you know, wanting to listen to uh, to, to fish and 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 uh, you know, and you know, as a pop kind of, and not that fish is so popish, but you know what I'm saying. It's sure. not Mingus. It's not. It's not that other thing. To them, that's out. Um, and then they start they start playing monk tunes and, and and hearing some voicings and maybe different rhythms that maybe are really that commonly found in what they've heard before and it's hard to accept but that's that's kind of the story for any jazz listener you know and it's not an it's not an easy food to uh, to eat in the beginning it's not natural you have to come to it so um you know they dig it you know and, and it makes them feel special too you know it's it's and that's part of being young too is, is you don't want to be the same as everybody in certain aspects of your life so if you can be ultra hip in your music choices and know a little bit about jazz music, then you know you're one up on uh, most of the, most of the other people that you're around. You mentioned that when you were just on tour, uh, you did some workshops as well. Is that something you often do when you're on the road? Try to, you know, if if if, if you can do it. Um, you know, we we played at the conservatory in my street in Holland, uh, just the trio, and the the title of the workshop was feeding creativity. And um, so it was it had less to do with with notes and scales and harmony and that kind of thing, but more like how do you get to be more creative? What can you do to be more creative and uh, not necessarily play upon chord changes, which is the standard method in 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 a, in a large part of what the jazz repertoire is, standard tunes, et cetera. But how can you go the other way, and how do you create melody and harmony without it written, being written down? And that's a challenge, you know, because it's so abstract. Um, but what happens is that you can find your voice within there, within that, uh, and practicing to be creative. You know, it's right brain stuff. And uh, so, uh, but they seem to gravitate towards it. We had a number of kids on stage playing songs they had never played before and melodies they had never played before. And um, it's surprising with the with the human brain and and. Uh, uh, the talent that you can bring to it when you when you're asked to be uncomfortable now play and uh that's what needs to happen i think uh, more in music
you uh, you decided to start your own record label, uh, Playscape Recordings. Can you talk about why you made that decision? Yeah, it was it, you know it was uh, it was a lucky decision, I guess. Let's say it was 1999, and I was asked to go to Spain and, and perform with some Spanish jazz musicians, and it was like a week or week or two. I can't. It was a long time ago, but um, I had two records that had come due with other record labels. They had licensed the music, and they were mine again. And I really didn't have anything to take with me um, on this tour. And so I said, you know what, let me, let me reprint this, this one and see what happens. So I did what I needed to do to, to start a label, and upon my return, I said, you know what, there's a lot of guys in my position that, that, that have work that either they can't get out, that is, is great, that, uh, you know, in those days you really could send stuff to labels and they might pick you up. These days it's different. But, um, so really it just kind of blossomed. You know, there was, it was my, my, my peers, you know, four or five guys who, who had releases that were similar to mine that they had come back to them and they owned. So I kind of started this label with, you know, four or five uh, reissues. And from that, it blossomed into, now we're about, I think, 45 releases into it, and 10 years later, we're still going strong. And I'm, I'm awfully proud of this label with, with the, the level of the music and musicianship that, that we bring to it. And I think we've carved out a little little place in, 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 uh, you know, in the world of creative music. And, uh, and what I mean by that is we have a sound. And uh, I'm very, really proud of Playscape and all that we've accomplished. With all the, um, with everything from, from teaching to touring to, uh, you know, r- running a label, uh, all the various things that you're involved in, is it, uh, how do you carve out time to, to work on yourself either as a guitarist or a composer? You mentioned that you set aside blocks for composing. Do you have to do the same thing in terms of just being with the guitar when you're not on stage? Yeah, I, I actually do. Um, and, and this is going to be kind of foreign to most most musicians, but, you know, I wake up really early and play. I wake up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning in the quiet time. I mean, most guys go to bed around that time, but, um, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's my most creative time once I actually start to wake up. And uh, if I can put two or three hours of, of music time into it, whether it's just practicing the guitar or if it's composing or a little bit of both, um, that's the magic time for me. Once once the world starts to kick in and and I hear cars driving by and that kind of thing, uh, I'm easily distracted. So um, that's my secret anyway. That's what works for me is 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 getting is is dealing with the music when no one else is. Uh, are there some things uh, coming up that uh, that folks can go see? Well, I just returned, so this is my <laughs> this is my writing time. That's right. <laughs> um, for the next for the next two months or a month and a half, that's what that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, is is doing? I'm sure we'll have a couple of things in in, in New York um, at the usual uh, places, and uh, you know, if I get some new music written down, at least the trio will be playing and uh, uh, and starting to set set really set the schedule up for 2011. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, I guess that's that's the life of the musician, right? I mean, it's being far ahead of the curve. Yep, far ahead of the curve. I mean, everything's a year out at least, and uh, you know that's I mean, whether it's, I mean for for us, it's it's Europe and Canada, and more, more much more easily than here in the states, to be honest, um, as far as touring goes. Yeah, I don't think that will come as a surprise to anyone. Not to anyone. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's a toughie. Yeah, here, that that ain't but, news. Uh, you need to try. 
Uh, my guest is Michael Masalami. He and uh, the trio have a new album called Old T on his own Playscape recordings. And uh, it's, Michael, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and to listen to this music. I thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much, man. I had a great time. That's music from guitarist Michael Masalami and his album Old T on his own Playscape Recordings label. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com. And once there, you'll also find a cornucopia of other treasures, including links, many links to other websites. You'll find Amazon.com links to the music that's featured on the show. You'll find a donate button if you want to give some money back. You'll find the weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for right there. There's a mailing list. You'll find links to the Facebook group and the Twitter feed. It's crazy how many things there are at thejazzsession.com. My friends in the Respect Sextet, recorded the theme music for this show. They've got a new record on the way, and you can find out about it and their previous records and their appearances all around the East Coast at their website, respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Please go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.